want you to turn to Acts chapter 1 this evening. And I know you may think that might be a bit strange since we just spent two years in the book of Acts from the first verse to the last of it. But in our study on prayer, we must go back over and over again to the patterns that the Lord has laid for us in his word. Acts chapter 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Where Jesus left off, his apostles uh, took on, and uh, he told them that they would do greater and mightier things than he. Isn't an amazing statement? And those who came after him, his followers were, and so it would. And so he says, we begin to to fill in the gaps and to pick up where our Lord left off in his teachings and the carrying out of those teachings throughout the church age until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. His passion, of course, his, his experience in Gethsemane and the cross, the resurrection. Infallible proofs these showings were. It could not be disputed that this same Jesus was the one who was crucified and who rose again. Infallible proofs. Being seen of them 40 days, this resurrected Lord was with them, ate with them, was with them intimately for 40 days, over a month. And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, what a blessed thought that is, the Lord in the midst of his church. It's always a precious thought to see the Lord with us. And uh, we have pointed out over and over as we study prayer and the assembling of ourselves together, that that's what, one of the promises of the Lord, one of the means of grace. He says, there I am in the midst of you. And so being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Not yet. He will tell them to go. He gives them the command here. And will allow persecution to come so that they will go and do his will. But should wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. And I want you to notice, we'll mention this in just a moment. They did, were not praying for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They were waiting for the promise of the coming of the Spirit of God. That was a sovereign act that God was going to do. They were praying and supplicating for various things, but they were not praying for the Holy Spirit to come. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized. So this baptism is an absolute, totally different baptism than water baptism. The placing of the Spirit of God, those souls, into the body of Christ. You will be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, and you imagine the Lord being here tonight and us being able to ask him questions. Well, we can ask him questions, but they will be found in his word. It's interesting that this question they asked him and his answer to it is one of the plainest question and answer sessions in all the Bible, and yet heretics and crazy people have deviated from this down through the ages, and I'm sure not many days is... The latter days become worse and worse. There will be date setters. There will be those who said they've had a vision or seen a sign. And Jesus will come back, you know, December the 23rd, 2015 or something like that. They're, they're date setters. But the Bible, it settles it right here, doesn't it? How there could be any question is amazing. They asked him, "Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? The messianic promises are literal promises we believe they are yet to be fulfilled in their old testament fullness and these disciples had every right to expect that the promises of a kingdom a ruling and reigning messiah would be fulfilled he has died for them they were sketchy about all that they didn't fully understand even though isaiah tells us other portions of scripture tells us that the messiah must suffer he will be wounded for our transgressions he will be bruised for our iniquities. And, and uh, they, they fought him on that, didn't they? Oh, that we'll not let that happen to you. We'll keep them from hurting you. And he says, you don't understand. 
And so after those things were completed, and even after his death, they mourned and grieved and thought it was all over with. Then his resurrection. And so they rightfully, and we understand them asking this, this question, which in their mind was the very next event on the timetable of God to be fulfilled, the ushering in of the eternal day, the kingdom of Christ. Will you at this time, it hasn't everything been done that's going to be done. There's still some mysteries that have not been unfolded to them, and we're part of that mystery being unfolded tonight as we meet. The mystery of the bride of Christ, the church. They were about to be placed. They were already saved. They were always followers of Christ. They were about to be, and some of them had followed, many of them had followed the baptism of John, which uh, emphasized their repentance and belief in the coming of the Messiah. And now he, they are expecting the kingdom to be set up. And they were so excited about it. In fact, at, at a previous time, some of his disciples had even asked about key positions. They were putting in their resumes ahead of time about key places in the kingdom. Uh, but the first for things first, and what was needful is the coming of the Holy Spirit, placing them into the body of Christ. And he said unto them in verse 7, and this is the verse I was referring to, that ought to silence the date setters, their whole schisms and sects and denominations established on the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not for you to know. Now, we could put a period right there and, and say for us, there's a lot of things that's not for us to know. Can you just say amen to that and say, Lord, there's some things, that, the secret things belong to the Lord. They're His, and they're secrets. There were, in our household, as a little boy growing up, there were some places that were just absolutely off limits to me. One of them was my mother's purse. She had me convinced if I stuck my hand in that purse, a piranha or something would chew my hand off. I was often tempted to go because my mother always kept a stash of dentine gum in her purse. Uh, that was her, her flavor. That was her brand. And I would just knew there was dentine gum there. But that was one of the few luxuries that were hers and would not for five children to go through a purse and get the... And she said, that's mine. There were some places that were just not ours to go to. In our Lord's economy, there are some mysteries that were hidden to the Old Testament believer that he has revealed to us as time has progressed. And there are mysteries, there are secrets of the Lord that may never be revealed to us. He will tell us all that we need to know. He has told us all that we need to know. We, we have everything we need to do to obey, to be saved, to do the Lord's work on earth, and to occupy till he comes. And we've got enough to keep us busy. It's a danger, it's a, it's a shame that some of his children go off on tangents and try to open cupboards and doors that he has locked. You'll always get your hands burned and, 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 and slapped if you try to, to pervade in areas where the Lord has said, that's mine, they're secrets. There are things about mysteries of the universe. There are mysteries that we can only wonder at. And many of them we will have to leave unto the Lord until he reveals those things to us in the eternal day. Or if he decides to keep them secret from us for all eternity, that's his business. He is, after all, God. And so he tells his disciples very plainly here, very bluntly, those things are not for you to know. And I, that, that you'll be a frustrated follower of Jesus Christ if you think you need to know everything you want to know. Curiosity is a wonderful thing, and we ought to be curious about delving into the things he has shown to us freely. But those secret things are his. And he said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. And so the exact time of the coming of the Lord is a mystery. It is a secret. It's not a mystery to the Godhead. Uh, but it is, a, it is a mystery to us. We know he's coming again. And we're about to read a, a glorious passage that promises as he, he indeed will. Which the Father hath put in his own power. But you shall receive power. He turns from their question about when he's coming again to uh, the matter at hand. That we ought to be very interested in this evening in this prayer meeting. You shall receive power. The Lord never wastes a gift, and he does not give gifts frivolously. 
this coming, this giving of the Holy Spirit would be not for entertainment purposes, not for circus sideshow shenanigans. It would be for one purpose alone. It would be for the purpose of fulfilling the, the responsibility and the command he was giving to them, that he had given to them at the end of all the Gospels. Go ye into all the, all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, to do all things that I have commanded them. And lo, I'm with you always. Now, he precedes that promise in one of the gospels with this statement. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's, that's all-inclusive, isn't it? Can you, can you get any any more powerful than that. All the power of all heaven and earth is given to the Son of God. Praise be to his name. His arm is not shortened in this prayer meeting that he cannot save. You have someone that needs to be saved. He's still in the saving business. And as far as we know, the last soul has not been converted because the church is still assembled. When the last soul will be converted, whoever that one is or ones are, the Lord will come for his own when the bride is completed. The bride will be completed. It is not yet. We're here tonight. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. This event had not yet happened. In a preview, he had breathed upon his disciples and had given them power to... The 70 who went out preaching and at other times they should have been able to do all the work that he had given them to do. Remember they were, were called upon to cast out some demons and they could not. They should have been able to but they asked and the Lord said this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. But here not just the apostles but every believer in Jesus Christ, every converted one from the date of the the day of Pentecost, from that day till this, every believer would have this power of the Holy Spirit because every believer will be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Every believer's body will be the temple. They were they were standing not far from the temple, and that temple was the very center of Jewish life. It, it stood looming not only the highest pinnacle of the city, but all that they knew and thought revolved around that particular building. And the Lord is about to transform all of that and transform the, the glory of the temple will be we have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, the glorious power of the Holy Spirit resting in each one of us. You shall receive power. He had promised them that in John's gospel, didn't he? We read, he says, that when he speaks of the comforter, the spirit who will come, the spirit of truth, he will lead you and guide you in all truth. He is with you now, and then he prophesies of this very event. He, event, he shall be in you. The de- deciding difference between an Old Testament believer and a New Testament believer. The Old Testament believer was as saved as you are. But the Old Testament believer did not have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling their body. The Holy Spirit came upon them for service. We think of Samson. Remember Samson grinding at the grist mill, who the Lord had sovereignly chosen to be his representative to his people. And the saddest, one of the saddest verses in all the scripture describes Samson's predicament when he said, He wist not, he did not know that the Holy Spirit had departed from him. David prayed in that we referred to recently, the great prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. One of his worries, because he'd spent a year in exile where the Holy Spirit had not come upon him. He had no word from the Lord. He could not act in his kingly position. He had no... Uh, will or the ability to do his the work that God had given him to do because of the great sin that separated between him and his God. And remember when he repents, one of the key requests in that psalm of repentance is, take not your Holy Spirit from me. It's a request no New Testament believer 
ever need pray because the Holy Spirit of God abides within the believer. And he is with us until we are taken home to glory. That's why the Bible tells us, I will never leave thee nor forsake. How can that be? Lo, I'm with you always. How can he be? He's gone above. He told us how that would be. I'm going to send another just like me. The exact same as me in a different form. The Holy Spirit of God indwelling in you is just as real and literal as the, if it's the Lord Jesus Christ were standing in this pulpit tonight himself bodily. Oh, what a privilege. That's why the Apostle Paul says, What? Exclamation point. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. How dare you treat that tent, that clay pot, like it was yours. It is His. He tells us in one place, the body was not made for fornication. What was the body made for? The body was made for the Lord. And the Lord has deemed this body, this clay pot, and yours, his own residence. His arm is not shortened, neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear. What a verse to remind us as we come to pray tonight. But you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, all Judea and in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Can you imagine that little group of 120 people hearing that job description? You are going to be witnesses to me to the uttermost parts of the earth. What a statement. How can this be? We heard from our missionaries tonight who are in an uttermost part of the earth. You shall be witnesses. Not pray about being witnesses and see if you can work that out. Think about it, if you will, to be witnesses. Not that's, what does he say? You will be witnesses. Every believer is a witness. The question is not, are you going to witness or are you going to be a witness? May I tell you tonight, you are a witness. The question is, how effective a witness is Chris Lamb? I am a witness because I am the Lord's, and we've just shown the Holy Spirit of God indwells the body of every true believer. Paul says, if not, you don't, if you don't have the Spirit of God, then you're not His. It's as simple as that. Every believer is, you are salt and light. Don't go try to be light and salt. You are. How much, how bright are you? How salty are you? How effective are you in your witness? You are a witness just because you are the Lord's. And when He had spoken these things, while they beheld... He was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, and you can imagine why they would, who had ever seen such a thing? There he goes again. We've had him here for 40, we lost him for a while. You can imagine they're thinking, he died and he was gone and we didn't have him. Now he's back and he's leaving us again. And who's ever seen someone just levitate into the skies? Steadfastly staring into heaven. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, the very body that was lifted before you, pierced, glorified, resurrected, will is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner. He will come in clouds of glory. How will he come? Just exactly as he left. In the clouds, in the sky, we believe, for his own at the snatching away of the church. The next time he will come in great glory, and every eye will see him. You've seen him go into heaven. They, then they returned into Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women 
and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. The Bible speaks of the secret place or the prayer closet, which denotes the individual, personal, private, intimate conversations, supplications, repentance, forgiveness, asking forgiveness, requests that you may not want another human being to hear the secret place. And then there is the public place, the corporate place in the New Testament church. There must be both for the well-rounded believer. The secret place in private in an upper, in, or an upper room of public prayer as we see here. There's no substitute for private prayer. The secret place in a believer's life, that place of communion, and nothing can take the, the place of the public prayer meeting of the church's life. We'll see here if you continue to read the record, which will not at this time. The, the church is born in that upper room. The baptism of the Holy Spirit for which the disciples were told to wait was the mark of the birth and the beginning of the infant church. The Bible tells us they, for ten days, this group of, of praying souls gathered there in an upper room. Their, their hearts are united in prayer and supplication until the heavens were, were rent. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, as chapter 2, verse 4 tells us. It is in such prayer meetings that the greatest business in all the world is transacted by the church of Christ. I would submit to you that no parliament on earth, no congress on earth, no corporate business meeting, there's not a meeting on earth that can transact more important business than the most humble group of believers in their prayer meeting transact. The business of God's kingdom. A Sabbath day's journey was the maximum distance that the Jews could walk on the Sabbath. It was about 2,000 cubits or about a half a mile as far as the, their law their, would, would, would allow them to, to walk. And a Sabbath day's journey or the 2,000 cubits was said to be the, the farthest tent when the, when the tabernacle and the, the, the Jews were in encampment. The father's tent was 2,000 cubits away. And so they felt it legal to walk at least as far as you could walk from the father's tent to the tabernacle for worship. That was the Sabbath day's journey. That's how far they could, could walk. This upper room, we believe, no doubt, was the, probably the same place where they'd observed the, the Lord's Supper and where that beautiful ordinance was instituted by our Lord himself. And where Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection they seem to have clung to this place. God's people often do that, don't they? There are places that are very precious and dear to God's people. The place where they assemble, where they hear the word preached. And that room, it must have been a large house for 120 of them to be able to gather there. The houses were built in that day. In the uppermost floors, there'd be a large gathering place. And this is where... The disciples were meeting. Some say, though there's no way to prove it, that this was the house of John Mark's mother. And they intimate that from Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. But they would not have been far from the eastern gate. A Sabbath day's journey would have put them just inside the walls of the city. We note here that his brethren were in this meeting as well. They had just recently come to faith in their brother their half-brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary and Joseph had other children after Jesus was born. And in Mark 6, verse 3, gives us their names. James and Joseph and Judas are Jude and Simon. His sister's names are not given, but those brothers' names are given. And, and James would write the book of James. And, and Judas, or Jude, would write the little book of Jude. They became absolutely convinced followers of Jesus Christ after his resurrection. Our most important church services, I would submit to you, are times of prayer, where the Holy Spirit presides and guides our requests, as he always does when we pray. We ask him to superintend, don't we? And if we're not asking aright, if we're asking amiss, that he would take our prayers and make them uh, utterances before the throne of grace to be exact in accordance with the will of God. 
We lay ourselves bare before the Lord of the church and prevail in prayer. I would submit to you this evening that important business is at hand, isn't it? We'll be praying in just a few moments for the conversion of souls. There's not a person in the sound of my voice that can convert, can convert a soul. The greatest and most desperate need are their souls all around us that need to be converted. That sat and heard the gospel message Sunday morning and in the Sunday school classes and on visitation. Even today, going out and, and, and giving the gospel to people. That seed that was planted must be watered by the prayers of God's people. That Satan would not come and snatch away that precious seed. And that it would give fruit to, to salvation. Oh, we could go down the list. Let me ask you just that one. Is there anything more important on the face of the earth tonight than the conversion of the lost? The conversion of a lost soul. This prayer meeting is a pattern I'd submit to you for the church, and we would do well to study it and to imitate this precedent in the history book of the church here recorded for us by the Holy Spirit himself. We see there, I want to call your attention to verse 14, and we want to look there just for a moment tonight at the, the pattern and the things laid out for us there by the Spirit of God. They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Notice, first of all, the little word, all. These all continued with one accord in prayer. Here we have the 11 apostles. Judas has committed suicide, taken his own life for the great horrible sin that he willingly chose to commit, and yet fulfilling the, the plan of God. The women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, our Lord's brothers. Verse 15 tells us about 120 were present. The lesson for us is, this, it is the privilege and the responsibility of all to attend the prayer meeting. Here tonight is our upper room here at Glen Iris. We have other times for meeting and praying and making our requests known before the Lord. Prayer was, this prayer was for fellowship because Jesus was no longer with them. Why were they praying? It was not, they were not asking for the Holy Spirit to come. They didn't even fully understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They didn't know what was about to transpire. They had no idea. It was unprecedented. And the, the, the signs and wonders that would take place there, and then again at the conversion of the, the, the Samaritans and at the conversion of the Gentiles. And never to be repeated in that exact way again until all those uh, that God would save and bring into the church was proven by the same signs and wonders that will take place. They had no idea of all of that. They were just obeying the Lord's command and they were grieving and, and longing for His presence. So what did they do? Longing to be near Him. Longing to hear from him. His voice was silence. He was not speaking audibly in this prayer meeting. They had the luxury and the, the glorious privilege of communing and talking with the Lord in his, those 40 days. Can you imagine all that, that transpired in those 40 days? And the apostles' doctrine that was in, instilled in them that would be unfolded throughout the New Testament. And so one of the chief reasons why God's people gather together is to be near the Lord, to sense His nearness. He comes in prayer meetings and in the assemblies of His people in a special blessing that is not known in any other way. Where two or three are gathered together in my name. There! There! There, in that way, in that place, in that manner, there I am in the midst of them. Now, the secret place has its place. We can sense the Lord in a particular, an unusual blessing in that capacity. But I would submit to you that there is a, a different blessing, if you will, a different manner in which the Lord blesses His people in corporate prayer, in corporate worship, when we come together. That's why he calls his house a house of prayer. 
The lesson for us is this. What a privilege it is. What a responsibility. I hope you never come to a prayer meeting not expecting the Lord to do great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Oh Lord, will you not bless us? I have in my shelf there, I see you as I come out before every prayer meeting. Charles Spurgeon told his preacher boys, implore the Lord's blessing. Beg him for his blessings. Church at Glen Iris, let me ask you, if we're going to receive a blessing, who's it going to come from? Can we vote it in? Can we pay for it? Can we take out a loan to get it? Do we, can we order a package plan from somewhere, some program to initiate that will give us the blessing of the Holy Spirit? Our resources and what we so desperately need can only come as we meet together and pour out our hearts before the throne of grace. There, there I am in the midst. Notice not only all of them, and it's a shame when some don't take highly the privilege of the prayer meeting. Oh, I grieve as a pastor at those who could be and choose not to, what they they miss out on. Notice they continued. This wasn't just an on-again, off-again thing. This would be an ongoing pattern that would mark God's people. What is a church? They didn't know what a church was. That word was not even coined yet. What is it going to be, God's people meeting together? In the Old Testament, it was marked by the temple and the sacrifices and the dietary law and so many other things. But what will it be that, that sets apart the followers of Jesus Christ? They continued. They kept on. Is it not amazing to you that this ragtag group did not completely disintegrate and fall apart? after their leader was no longer there. We see movements throughout history, church movements, that all kinds of movements that come and go that are centered around a personality. Be careful, be careful, be careful of a personality-centered ministry. Now, we all have personalities, and God gives leadership. But the personality we're gathering around this evening is the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of his church. You didn't come to to see me tonight. You didn't come because of my personality. You came to hear from the Lord and to receive his blessing and to pour out your heart before him. Their praying was persevering praying. They prayed and then nothing happened. And so they continued praying because they felt his nearness. The promise was, there I am, I will be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so they, as they prayed, as they supplicated, as they made their request known, they felt the nearness and the fellowship and the presence not only of one another, which is so vitally important and one of the chief reasons for assembling ourselves together, but they felt the presence of the Lord in their their midst. We have no indication that they, they lived in the upper room. That would have been, that doesn't even make sense, does it? For that many people to, to live there for 10 days. I don't think they, they slept, ate, and lived there, although they may have continued for long periods of time. But the Holy Spirit records for us that they joined together constantly, and re, in other words, regularly, routinely, and they kept it up because the Lord had commanded them to. Tarry, and I will send the Spirit of God. If I told you that if you'll wait for me at a certain place, I've got something for you, and you're going to want it. You need it, and you're going to want it. And uh, you, you begin to wonder what, what it is. He knows me so well. I said, now meet me. I don't know. I can't tell you exactly when I'm going to be there, but I'm going to meet you there And I will bring you exactly something you need and you will want it, I guarantee you. The expectancy, the awe, the wonder. They didn't know what it was going to be. But the promise of the Lord, they joined. And Acts chapter 12 tells us that where they prayed for Peter to be released from jail and they they continued until the answer came. 
not only were all of them there, they continued, but third, we see that they were in one accord. And we mentioned this Sunday evening about the unity, the preciousness of unity. Unity is not uniformity. Do you understand? Unity is not a Xerox copy, everybody exactly like doing the same thing, parting their hair the same way, carrying the same Bible looks exactly the same. Uniformity is not unity. Unity is things held in common. This common faith once delivered to the saints. It is unified around the person work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some confuse uniformity with unity, but some of the meanest people I've met do all the same thing exactly the same way and would and crucify you if you didn't do it just exactly like that. That's not unity. We are unified around this, this common faith. They join. Look at the one accord and the phrase are joined together. They prayed with one mind and one heart. There was unity about the matters for which they prayed. They agreed there was a heart agreement between them. They were in the unity of spirit with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, as Ephesians says, endeavoring to keep, to guard the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Be at peace among yourselves, the, the scripture tells the church. That means that's something you have to cultivate. If you have a flower bed that's weeded, our beautiful flower bed, somebody got out there and pulled weeds and cultivated and kept it. And you go by and you see these places, you think the flowers are just absolutely glorious. Somebody does something. They fertilize, they, they water, they pull out dead ones and put in new ones. But there's a reason it looks like that. And when the church is blossoming as it should, when your heart is blossoming with the blessing of the Lord, there's a reason for it. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. Do you see these things that unifies us? United prayer is useless unless we're praying, those that are praying together are on good terms. So I ask as we come to the prayer portion of our meeting tonight, are we on, on good terms? Is there anyone in this room or in our fellowship that I have not forgiven? Or I'm holding grudge against. Do you see why prayers are hindered? Why the, the Holy Spirit is greed when, when the unity is so vitally precious to Him? Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, we could say it this way, couldn't we? Do you think I'd be wrong in, in putting it this way if we bring our prayer to the altar? And there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, and first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. It's a serious business, isn't it? This is the business of heaven. This is how heaven's business is transacted. Fourth, we see they continued not in singing, not in quilt making, not in a jillion other things that we could do. What is it that they continued in? It's a grievous thing that God's church gathers and, and continues in all kinds of things except the chief things that He told us to continue in. Continued in prayer. The word includes praise and, and includes worship and thanksgiving and adoration, confession of sin, interceding for others. All those things that fall under the banner of prayer is what goes on in the prayer meetings of the church. Our praying ought to be heavy with praise. I hope we come this evening and as these men lead us in prayer that you thank the Lord for His blessings and name them one by one. Lord, you're so good to us in this luxurious, cool place. To even have a place to meet and gather. No one was at uh, danger of having your life taken unless you came down I-65 or 459, but you were not in, in danger of coming here tonight. You didn't have to worry about being seen or that you might lose your job. As believers all over the world fear as they obey this precedence. Let us always bring to Him 
that which glorifies him, the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. Our Jesus taught us to pray, does he not? Our Father, which art in heaven, what is the first top of, what is the first order of business? Praise be your name. Hallowed, set apart is your name. And fifth, we note that they came together in prayer and supplication. Now, when words are interchangeable, supplication is prayer, but it is distinct from it. When the Holy Spirit gives us in this way, we need to look at it and see what is he saying. They made definite petitions asking for God's will to be accomplished, begging him that he would bless them and help them and direct them. They didn't know what to do next. He was gone. How are they going to know what to do? For all they knew, they had no leadership, although he already had that in mind, didn't he? He had a pattern he was going to reveal to them. The elders, the pastors, the deacons... The things they might have been fearful about, the Lord already had worked out. And may I tell you tonight, whatever you may be worried or concerned about or fearful about, do you know the answer is already figured out and it's on its way? Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? They didn't know what their duties would be or what the church would be like. They were commanded to be a part of it. They really didn't even know how to go about making disciples and and, and, and going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. And so he's going to help them, isn't he? He's going to bring them the very means that they need, the Holy Spirit. And then he's going to send an impetus to make them do what he's commanded them to do. Because you know what? Like so many of us, they enjoy the singing and the fellowship so much. They just hovered together there in Jerusalem as the church was getting fatter and fatter growing and growing but where were the believers they were all in jerusalem that's all that's all that they were all right there they'd forgotten to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature so what does the lord do he spurs them on and allows persecution to come that scatters them to go and wherever they went they took the gospel with them let me tell you wherever you go you take the gospel with you then we see the results of this kind of prayer meeting. And I'm not going to major on those tonight. I wanted us to see the, the structure, the form, the precedent. But the first, we see that the leaders of the church will have guidance. Some have, have taken issue with them choosing Matthias as, a, as an apostle to replace Judas. But verse 24 suggests otherwise. And in Acts 6 verse 2, the Holy Spirit speaks of the twelve. And so he gives his approval that Matthias indeed was the approved choice of the Lord. So we see here that God, it was easy enough to recognize those original apostles because Jesus handpicked them. How are we going to, to know how to choose leadership after the Lord is gone? Well, we're going to have to have prayer meetings, aren't we? Lord, we, I just read today as I was praying through the prayer request, two or three churches, we're begging for the Lord to send us God's man. We're having special prayer that God would send us a pastor. And that's, that's the precedent here. How are we going to know who should be the leadership in the church? The church pray. We pray about everything. I hope you do in your own home as well. Every decision should be bathed in seasons of prayer. Where there is united prayer on the part of God's people, there can be leading and, and direction. They'll know what to do. They will have the mind of the Lord. Where there's confession of sin and repentance and loving one another and, and working to be made right with one another and endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace, guess what? You're going to know what to do. You're going to know what decisions to make. The Lord will lead and guide and direct and, and he will be exalted. And, 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 but where that's not done, man's wisdom is followed. And we do what seems to be right. And man's wisdom super, supersedes God's wisdom. And God's work will be hindered. We see that in the church. All, we just do it the way we feel like doing it. This is the way we've always done it. We've done it here this way. We've had these business meetings just like this, and we've just, we've just decided, and we've held our grudges this long. We'll just keep on holding them until the Holy Spirit is grieved. 
There's not a church on earth that would do with just having just seasons of prayer and say, Lord, clear all this up. Clear us up. Straighten us out. Help us to see like you see. Help us to do what you want us to do. Give us your leadership. Earnest prayer. Much praying the work of the Lord will go forward. His will will be accomplished. Is there any amazement that the church is just limping along today? The reason the church doesn't have to do like this is because they're not in the same conditions. Then go to the bank and get what they want. Then go order from Nashville a new program. Oh, we'll find a preacher. There's, there's, you know, we've got resumes coming out the, the, the filing cabinet. We can manage our own business in such a way we really don't have to have prayer meetings and, and times of begging the Lord to, to do what only He can do. In fact, so many of us have been so long in seeing it, we wouldn't know any different. The result of this kind of praying and giving over to this kind of preeminence of prayer, the life of the church is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Where he is greed, where he is quenched, we will not see the fruit that only he can produce. Conversions, glorious answers to prayer, people being salvaged, homes being put back together again. Habits broken, harmony, blessing, usefulness, the Holy Spirit calling people to service, calling missionaries from our congregation, singling out as he did, Paul, I want these two to go and be witnesses to me. We long to see the Lord do that in our midst. I would tell you, if we're not seeing the work of the Lord done as the Bible describes it, to be done it is can only be because we're not obeying what he told his disciples to do as a pastor it always is amazing to me for those who who have a low view of prayer and prayer meetings when we see so much of the lord's work all of it linked to it Peter, standing on the day of Pentecost, would have been a clanging brass and cymbal had they not met for these days, these 120, asking the Lord to show your glory. Did they say, call Peter to preach and heaven to preach a really good message? And thousands? They didn't know that was going to happen. They didn't know what to expect. They just knew they needed God to do what only he could do and help them to be prepared for it and to search us. Don't you know they were repenting and asking the Lord to show us our sin and bless us? And Lord, we, we're yours, but we don't know what to do. And He will show Himself great and mighty things which we know not. Another result will be the presence and power of Satan. Wherever there is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, Satan will be around the corner. And I, I don't say this in a way to be eerie or scary. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That grand hymn we sing, one little word will send him running. I paraphrase that. As soon as the Spirit of God began to work in the church, the devil began to work as well. Throughout the book of Acts, we see how Satan does his utmost to kill the infant church. He tried to kill Christ and probably took credit for it, but he forgot that Jesus said, I lay my life down and I will take it up again. Christ rose from the dead. Satan is wringing his hands and now he turns all of his vengeance toward the bride of Christ. A full and prosperous prayer meeting will guarantee the presence of two great personalities, the Holy Spirit and Satan. The devil is a defeated foe. He's on borrowed time, isn't he? He knows it. We know it. When the church of Christ prays, the Spirit of God will drive the enemy away. So shall thy, 
They fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. The devil leaves the prayerless church alone. His work is done. And that's merely a religious club meeting for stuff. So he doesn't, no business is being transacted, so he doesn't need to bother the church where the programs are prominent, and the events are all important, but where prayer is a footnote, if at all. He attacks the church where the Holy Spirit is at work, and the Holy Spirit is only at work where God's people are doing what we see here. If Satan is on the move, we shouldn't be worried. Where God's people know how to pray, the powers of darkness will be held back, and Satan's devices will be squashed, reversed, and used by God to further his own purpose. Lastly, we see a fourth result of the prayer meeting the mighty and effective spread of the gospel. Within a few days of this meeting, of this prayer meeting in Acts chapter 1, the whole of heaven was in motion for the spreading of the gospel was promised, that was promised in chapter 1, verse 8. Then saith he to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. I have many people in this city. The harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers, can I submit, instead of laborers, the prayers, the churches that pray, the prayer meetings, are few. Pray ye. What is the answer for the plenteous harvest? What is the answer? Pray. Pray, pray. Pray ye therefore, in light of this, in light of the, the harvest that is ripe in this dark day when the foundations are being destroyed and crumbling. Pray. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. One thing you can pray, and you know that God always wants to hear is, Lord, call people, send laborers from us. Make us a laboring church. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. 